Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. So, thank you to them for keeping our lights on and giving people a great place to wager on all sorts of things. With me, as always, showing up, hopefully, in proper attire to answer people coming to his hotel room door, my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? And a bit of a pickle here. During the Twitter hack, I got locked out of my account. Oh, boy. So I can't use my account. I can't. Like, before people were able to still scroll on their feed and retweet and favorite stuff, I can't even access that. That's tough, man. You know, that's how can you even do anything in life without access to well, your like, main Twitter I, feed? More concerned with, <laughs> the branding aspect and losing the account that I am with, you know, right. physically being able to tweet and scroll the time. And like, not that this is important, but it's it's funny in that they're concerned about all these important accounts uh, with Trump or Obama or Kanye and everything, but somehow mine is locked unnecessarily. Yeah, you know, they're like ma- matters of national and or global security potentially at stake, depending sure. on what people got into or may have found while they're hacking Twitter. And, you know, the, the, the real important thing here is that we make sure that Seamus Clancy's Twitter account uh, isn't improperly used by anyone. I don't, I'd rather tweet out a bunch of scam stuff and then just when I get my account back deleted rather than deal with this right now. I don't know. You might have lost some followers if you did that. So maybe I might you count say, your blessings. I might have to start with zero all over again. <laughs> well, here's hoping that doesn't happen to you, my friend. I, you know, it could happen to me too. I don't want to make. Won't we'll make like you, you're able to. You're able to tweet though, right? Yes, I have been. Yeah, so well, that's good. Did Did you have Did you not have two factor authentication on your account? I don't know. I thought I did, but it seems no. Yeah, but it seems like that. that well, it affected people that even had that. Right. So, so I don't yeah, even but know. But I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I changed my password during the situation. So I wonder if that was the issue, which I thought was the yeah, smart probably, move. But probably, probably triggered something. Yeah. So probably screwed myself there. Thought I was being precautious, but not really. Uh, well, people who I'm do have access. It's a issue. <laughs> it's, yeah. There are people who do have access to their Twitter accounts and aren't really using them right now. They happen to be in Orlando playing basketball. Uh, ben Simmons, Shake Milton, two of the guys in the news this week for the Sixers. I think the the headline grabber is the fact that uh, Brett Brown has said that he is moving Ben Simmons to the power forward spot, or at least that he has... For the time being, that's all that he's played in practice. They, he's given rave reviews of both his commitment and his his play there. Shake Milton takes over the quote-unquote point guard job, and that's something that you know a lot of fans, uh, probably including Sheamus here, have been clamoring for for a little bit, just a little more uh, 
you know, sensible lineup on the floor. So I guess the big question here that I have, Seamus, and, you know, I've talked to Brett and these other guys, but still have not seen it with my own eyes. So you don't really know. It's like, do you think this actually means anything beyond shake getting on the floor? Or do you lean more toward uh, this is going to be a situation where, yeah, they have a different lineup on the floor, but it's still going to be, Ben bringing the ball up, Ben doing the things that he normally does, and it's sort of business as usual otherwise. As pessimistic as I've been about this Sixers team over the last, you know, six, seven months, however long it's been, eight months, nine months, I actually like this move and kind of instills a little bit of excitement and confidence in me that's been missing all season. I mean, in reality, it could be just a, you know, they're naming Ben the power forward or the four or however you want to say it. And it doesn't really amount to any difference, but I mean, I haven't been the biggest shake Milton fan overall, but at least he presents this idea of an X factor, this, you know, possibility of a player that, you know, I haven't really had that type of pure excitement over a specific player, you know, since that 29 about that player being able to break out since the 2018 season. And it would be, I mean, I, it's hard to say that, you know, during the Sixers' first playoff game, Shake Milton is going to be the starting point guard and bringing up the ball every single time down the floor and running a half-court offense. He's not necessarily Jimmy Butler out there the way that, you know, back last no. season after they acquired Butler, uh, there were some games where Jimmy played a de facto point guard role with Ben working more as a role man and maneuvering off the ball. And I thought that was great. And I think that's naturally where Ben fits best. Um, I think there was a situation Brett alluded to a little bit where just by the rest of the roster, Ben had a sort of play point guard. And also, I think Ben wanted to brand himself as a point guard. And those things coalesced into, you know, Ben playing point guard for two and a half years, even though in reality, he's not really a point guard. And to me, has always been a four, you know, LeBron James isn't a point guard. Zion Williams isn't a point guard. Giannis, uh, I guess, isn't a point guard. These are players that while they primarily handle the ball for their team and are their creator, uh, you know, it's better to play them with an extra guard out there. Yeah, the issue has not necessarily been Ben being a point guard or not. It's that he's often been the only guy who can do guard-like things. And when you are 6'10", you are not doing guard-like things as well as actual guards can. It's like it's just simply harder to be to have a good handle when you're six ten than when you're six two or six three. You're like you're further from the ground. That adds layers of complication. And you know Ben also has other issues on top of that. Where the you know headline always is his lack of a jump shot, which you know we'll talk about that at some point here. I think the big thing here is that Horford is being moved to the bench to make this happen. And that, you know, as you say, Seamus, I don't know that Shake Milton is going to come in and set the world on fire the way he did in the early spring, late winter, last we saw these guys. But I think he, dating back even to his days at SMU and as an amateur player, his theoretical skill set has been it's translated pretty well to the NBA you know he's he's got issues on on defense he's not a 
terrific athlete or anything, but he can handle the ball a little bit. He can shoot the ball well as both as a catch and shoot guy and as a pull up shooter. And those are things that they have desperately needed. They don't need him to be a dynamic Damian Lillard type guard to get value out of having a, a guard in the lineup with these guys. They need people who make the lineup make sense for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons specifically, which is not not easy to accomplish. Like you're you're going to have to sacrifice something to to get the best out of those guys. But I, I think Shake offers a good conceptual fit with those guys. Taking Al Horford out of that lineup, you know, moves people out of they're out of their own way effectively. Like Al wanted to operate in spots that you already had two guys who wanted to operate there, sometimes three with Tobias Harris. And the more you cut down on that, the more you could let guys settle into natural and routine roles and you're not having like triple post-up possessions. The the easier this gets and, you know, it the move is for Ben Simmons or or involving Ben Simmons right now, but it's going to have a domino effect, I believe on the rest of the lineup if they actually commit to using him as the versatile point forward type player that I think you you and I both believe that he is. Do you think Shea could be 2012-2013 Mario Chalmers? People might take that as a slight, even though he was a a starting player on a back-to-back championship team playing with an uber-talented, you know, power forward, point forward. I think that's a realistic comp. I don't think that's totally out of the question, no. And if you get that sort of competency from the guard spot, which they haven't had in forever, uh, other than the half season of Jimmy... You know, that's huge. They're not having Dame Lillard, as you said. They don't have Chris Paul. They didn't swing this unbelievable midseason trade again to try to salvage the season. But if Shake is just a competent player, I'm not asking him to be an all-star. I'm not, you know, doing the typical Sixers Twitter freakout over our fringe players that we want to succeed and we want to get behind and we want to be part of them. But if Shake is just competent, I think that's enough to be an X factor that may elevate the Sixers from a team that He's either going to have a really tough first-round series and get bounced in the second round, or maybe a team that can even make a conference finals run. Yeah, you know, I think Chalmers is actually a pretty good comparison. Like Coming out of high school, I think Chalmers was much more higher regarded, obviously played for a big and successful Yeah, finals, most Kansas. outstanding player in college. Yeah. But in terms of pure prospects, like NBA prospects, I don't think they're that different. Like I know that Shake ended up sliding in the second round when they drafted him, but part of that was because of uh, some medical red flags, I believe. I know that there was a, an issue that surfaced sort of late in the process and led to him. He was originally slated to be, you know, like maybe very end of the first, top of the second, which is where Chalmers went. And for very similar reasons, like they do have limitations as players, but they can shoot the ball. They can handle a little bit. They're not especially advanced playmakers, but in a a ball movement, side to side, dribble handoff type offense that they can certainly get done. So, yeah, I I don't think that that's a, a huge stretch. Obviously, actually becoming that guy is different. Like, you know, I know Chalmers was... Uh, much maligned by his teammates on the floor. He's sort of like the little brother that they all picked on as they were playing. But that guy showed up in a lot of big moments, and it's hard to forecast what anybody looks like in those, let alone a, a guy who's 
only in his second year and has played in such you know limited minutes so far but just as like a a, a broad concept i like that and you know i think shake has been I, what i really like about this is that from a like a holistic standpoint is that brett brown is giving shake this opportunity out of the gate it's not something that you know they're trying to make that horford starting lineup work despite the fact that we've seen that it doesn't work and basically calling us crazy for thinking they shouldn't do that they're trying to facilitate shake winning this job and doing that from the start i think that's an important first step i i don't think brett deserves like any extra credit for that or anything but to me that shows that at the very least the coaching staff the front office have learned the right lessons from the season and maybe more of what they need around their two best players yeah i think that speaks to the confidence the team has in shake right now and the confidence he possesses himself uh in the limited time where he got you know, a lot of run during the season. And obviously the big game everyone will think back to is that nationally televised game against the Clippers. Shake could really hold his own. He doesn't play scared. That's the one thing I kind of look, I know it's a stupid, you know, oh, it's a, you know, eye test thing. If the guy doesn't play scared, but you know, it's a real thing. I've seen it at times where- That is a real thing. Yeah, we see Furkan Korkmaz play scared in the playoffs. We've seen players like that fall off. Uh but Matisse a little bit seems to be getting better in that regard. Still a little timid, but Shake seems fearless. And I'd rather a player like that, that that's that young, that hasn't had that much experience, not realize the totality of the moment and just play loose and free and, you know, be a role player, be the fifth best player in the lineup, but do his role as well as he can. Yeah, I think I his think personality there's... suits this. There's an element of you don't know what you don't know. And there is a flip side to that, too, certainly, where, you know, and Brett has talked about this a little bit when we've talked about Shake recently, that, like, it, it's nothing against Shake, but coaches generally don't trust young guys in the playoffs and in big spots. And it, it just inherently, they are untrustworthy. And so maybe we end up in a few weeks seeing that, Hey, shake is not built for this and they are going to have to figure out an alternative solution. But, you know, it's something that not only I believe helps them in the short term, but it's also a long-term focused move. And so, you know, that's, it's not an easy decision to make for a coaching staff that might be gone within the next month or two so i'm just glad to, that we will get to see that hopefully knock on wood assuming nothing goes sideways here with whether it's injuries positive tests whatever uh out of the gate it seems they're doing the things that that make sense on paper at the very least yeah and he's under contract for two more years for dirt cheap after this as a second round pick he was the 54th selection so if he turns into something and looks like an actual part of this roster uh, this postseason or this these Orlando games or however you want to delineate this end of the season run, you know, that's a starter for next season. He's making one point seven million and the following season, one point eight million for a team that's, you know, going to be trying to shed money as much as possible with these cheap ass owners who are, you know, now scared off of the luxury tax and firing employees and raising season ticket prices because of Al Horford's ridiculous contract that looks uh, while some people were optimistic at the time, myself included, now is a disaster in hindsight. Having you know a starting caliber guard on a team that's so 
bereft of guards for that cheap with you know Ben Simmons contract kicking in how much Tobias Al and Joe are all already making that's huge yeah especially with the way the salary cap is going to shrink obviously we don't know what mechanisms the league is going to use yet that's going to have to be collectively bargained but every dollar is going to matter and so if they if they have a, a long-term contributor in shake which you know early days to make that proclamation sure. yet but good positive signs that would be a, a big boost for a team that barring a major trade is going to be up against it for the foreseeable future I'm really talking myself in the shake more and more during this podcast. Like I feel like I haven't had a player like that on the Sixers since Dario, where I'd get, you know, I'd have an irrational confidence and, you know, this anxiety when I watch him play, where I want him to make every bucket and make every crisp pass because I need things to go well from that player to succeed because you feel invested in him as a fan. Uh, again, I haven't. I'm not one of those, you know, people who've been clamoring for shake the playoff season, but you know, just the starvation for basketball and sports that I have with you know, the optimism and the upside of the unknown that Shake presents. And given my dissatisfaction with the rest of players on this team this season, you know, my excitement for these Orlando games for, you know, the August on is Shake Melton. Not that I, not what I would have expected before the season. <laughs> on that note, let's take a, a quick break to talk about our sponsor. And then we'll be back to talk about some topics that are not related to Shake Milton, at least that I'm aware so sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or you can check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. We are not going to talk about Liverpool's performance in the Premier League since they clinched the title, but they did clinch the title, and I just would like to remind everybody of that once again. If you can't wait for your team to come back, Bet Online has futures odds including win totals, division winners, and even league championships in a bunch of different sports. So you can also check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on if you're really desperate to play some bets. So visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online your online wagering experts. So I did, we got into this topic, I believe it was last week, Seamus, that spent some time on it, uh, discussing you know, Deshaun Jackson and anti-Semitism and the conversation that has revolved around that over, I guess we're recording this on Thursday afternoon around 1.30 Eastern. So it's been... You know, let's say about a week and a half since all that happened. And I guess what has happened since is that there has been, you know, largely, I think it's been condom people criticizing Deshaun, condemning his actions and all forms of anti-Semitism. But unfortunately, and not just in the NBA or the NFL, it's sort of across uh, pro sports, it seems like there is at least somewhat of an undercurrent of athletes that are not taking that part of it seriously and are either 
minimizing the anti-Semitism or ignoring it in order to defend people they feel are being attacked. So some recent examples of that. I I don't remember if we got to it last week, but uh, Steven Jackson I think came out. And I think we got to him and Malik Jackson's comments. And so then in the week since, you know, there have been some other troublesome stuff so i believe it was wednesday either tuesday or wednesday alan iverson posted a picture with uh minister louis farrakhan who obviously is at the center of some of this stuff is has a long history of anti-semitic homophobic beliefs and, and things that he said and i think the real surprising one was yesterday Miami's Dwayne Wade, who I think has been a pretty vocal leader on, you know, a lot of different social issues. And I think people generally have looked up to on some level, tweeted out a message of support for Nick Cannon, who himself was fired by or let go by Viacom that owns uh, a whole host of networks, I, I think predominantly in this case, MTV and Nick Cannon's case, let him go for uh, remarks that he made on a podcast that were heavily anti-Semitic and endorsing anti-Semitic remarks of the guests that he had on. And while Wade followed that up by saying that's not what he was uh, supporting Nick Cannon for, and it ended up being his defense was that it was about Nick Cannon trying to get the rights to the show Wild and Out. It just seems like there has been far too much excusing of a really serious issue and an issue where there really shouldn't be a, like a black and white. There's no, or it should be black and white. There's no gray area here. There's no matter for interpretation. Anti-Semitism is wrong. The people who have been spreading these messages are wrong. And it's like, I don't know why this has been such a uh, wishy-washy subject for so many people. Yeah, did, did no one learn anything from the Deshaun Jackson saga over the last week or two? And last week's podcast, I tried to speak as best of my ability and sort of stay in that gray area. Maybe that was wrong. Maybe that was right. And trying to understand both parties in this situation. As I previously said, I cannot speak to the black experience of a black American. I cannot speak to the experience of a Jewish person, a Jewish American. So it's hard for me to completely have the most comprehensive thoughts and, you know, don't necessarily know how to, to vocalize my feelings about this the way uh, a black person could or a Jewish person could. But it seems like after the feedback and the reaction and the controversy that the Deshaun Jackson situation spurred, I would think athletes are self-aware enough, concerned enough, even on a superficial level about their brand, and then on a deeper, more human level, just basic decency to not keep posting stuff with Louis Farrakhan or somehow backing up anti-Semitic comments or people that were elucidating anti-Semitic thoughts or statements that we learn nothing. You know, last week I tried to speak to, you know, Farrakhan does have in his words amidst other issues of hate on Jewish people or on the LGBTQ community. He does have a pro black message in there that I think it's understandable to a degree, to a degree how athletes or just people in general could see that aspect of his message and want to amplify it. 
But after the last week's media storm, where it's been now amplified that Farrakhan is anti-Semitic, it seems like no one is still backing down from their comments, whether it be Stephen Jackson, whether it be Deshaun, who, oddly enough, uh, accepted a tour of Auschwitz with a 94-year-old Holocaust survivor, but at the same time was defending Nick Cannon and now-deleted Instagram story about his anti-Semitic comments. Did he learn nothing? Is is he actually going to go to Auschwitz? Now, I, I don't want to be put myself in the Sean Jackson shoes. I don't know what he's dealing with. I don't understand the totality of this situation, but it just seems wrong to me. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things. I, to... I want to mention Iverson posted a picture. I don't want to just sweep it under the rug because it's Allen Iverson. Sixers fans idolize yeah. him. Him doing that after everything we've just seen, not just nationally, but in this city with Deshaun Jackson and the large Jewish community that they have in Philadelphia, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's really strange, Seamus. And so I, I think there are a few things to unpack here. Some of this we got into last week, and, and you're touching on it in a different way now, right? Like when we discussed Deshaun, one of the things that I wanted to point We looked out at it is, as an isolated, it was an isolated incident. That's how I was looking at it now. But now it's a pattern of behavior among athletes currently. And that now sits with me much worse than just this one person making what we assume to be a boneheaded comment without realizing the severity of their actions and their statements. But now that it's more widespread between athletes and celebrities overall, which we've seen with Nick Cannon specifically, there's something more afoot here. Right. So when Deshaun does the initial thing, which again, awful, horrible, should have known better. There's no excusing of it. There is still part of you, like as a human, as someone that has like empathy for people, it's like maybe this was a moment of pure ignorance. Like maybe he's, I, again, I'm not commenting on his intelligence. Maybe Deshaun just did not, genuinely did not understand what he had done. And you say that and you think about that and you know, you try to give people the benefit of the doubt. When it keeps happening over and over again with different people, and it, it's basically the same, it's not people posting quotes they believe to be from Hitler, but it's people making the same excuses or ignoring the same topic, well, then it becomes a, a more widespread issue. And, and this is how I was thinking about it, Seamus. Obviously, again, to reiterate, you and I, I like, I'm a white grew up Catholic kid. I am, have never been persecuted for who I am. And like I don't know what people go through. But the easiest way to explain this is like, if someone was Jewish, and their method of being pro Jewish people was to be anti black, that's not being pro Jewish, that's being racist. In the case of these people who are, you know, spreading these anti-Semitic theories, these black athletes in recent weeks, not just them, but in the example we're speaking of, if their version of pro-black is anti-Jew, that is anti-Semitic. It's not pro-black anymore. It's not the message that groups like Black Lives Matter and all sorts of people around the country are rallying behind. And it's important to distinguish between those two things. The, if you are inherently discriminating against another group in order to prop up your group, which is exactly what happens with white supremacy, the whole 
the whole idea of white supremacy is that they are better than other people. And, and so that is why the, that whole idea falls apart. That's why all these ideas fall apart. If your belief system rests on the idea that you have to subjugate, to use prejudice against, to be a bigot against another group of people, whoever those people are, your belief system is fucked. And so that's that's what I think needs to be examined here, not just here, like more broadly, everyone should at pretty much all times be examining what they believe, why they believe it. But another thing I want to bring up here, Seamus, and it's something that I thought about uh, for you know, political reasons is that I do think it, it's scary to think that some of this stuff genuinely co- can come from people who are earnestly trying to learn. Like, so for in the example of uh, black Americans specifically, their history on some level has either been whitewashed or at times has been completely erased or taken from them because of the manner in which they were brought to this country. And so if you are a black American who is looking for, you know, whether it's your personal ancestry, you're looking for answers on your personal history, you can, if you go to Google or YouTube or some sort of social network in search of that, your intentions can be pure there are bad actors. There are people like Minister Louis Farrakhan who are preying on that thirst for knowledge and for wisdom and for learning and turning your search for your ancestry into trying to convert you on some level to be anti-Semitic. And that happens with people on the alt-right. That's they target uh young men who are searching for answers of problems in their life and they try to turn them against black people minorities generally immigrants etc it's a recruiting tool that's been used by isis in the middle east like and the way algorithms work for different uh media networks social media feeds is that once you start watching things and following certain things it Again, even if you are just trying to learn and expose yourself to new ideas, the way those algorithms work is they will just keep feeding you similar things until that sticks in your brain as well. This is the truth. This is what I believe. It's like the echo chamber effect happens in, in all of our lives on some level. And it's a very scary thing when it manifests with something like racism, like anti-Semitism and prejudice against people. So I do think that's also a thing to keep in mind here. Like, I, I don't think that's applicable to Dwayne Wade's example, for for instance. I, I don't think, like, I am trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because of the, the track record he has. And there was a whole side thing to this Nick Cannon thing. But I think the way we have to approach this on a broader scale is to understand how cynical the broader internet is and how damaging uh, algorithms can be in how people learn that are, again, looking for what they believe is truth and and knowledge. And that can lead you into some dangerous places. I spoke about this a little bit last week. And the thing that I don't want to say hurt me, but sucks overall is I didn't want 
what Steven Jackson and other athletes have built up and spoke so passionately about uh, in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement to be silenced or, you know, taken away the power of those statements and those thoughts that Steven Jackson and other athletes have shared. But that's right. understandably going to happen. I don't want to say understandably. That's unfortunately going to happen uh, with some detractors who are now going to try to discredit that entire movement. And that's what worried me last week. I didn't want that to become a thing. But I would have hoped that some athletes and celebrities would have used that Deshaun situation as a teaching moment for not just I'm talking specifically about black celebrities or black athletes, but for everyone that spreading a message of someone akin to Louis Farrakhan is just wrong, uh, given the Hitler sympathies, the sympathies, the anti-Semitic talk and the homophobic talk. And the more that these athletes and celebrities are doubling down on it, the worse this situation just gets. And it makes me think that no one, whether it be athletes or the public in general, is learning anything from this situation. And it just speaks volumes, I think, to, you know, the way that, you know, casual anti-Semitism might be more rapid, rampant than what than I realize as an insular white Catholic man who grew up in predominantly in an Irish and Italian Catholic neighborhood. Yeah. And to your point, Seamus, I have not wanted to pile on this subject specifically because like, then it becomes a thing where people look at it and they say, oh, well, why aren't you spending all this time on, you know, white racism against black Americans? We and did that I a think little bit. You and I, right. I think you and I have spent a lot of time on that, but that's, you know, that that always becomes a thing. It's a concern of mine. I don't want it to absolutely to come off as if you and I care about one more than the other the point here is that i i think the moment of realization for me was look people are maybe not taking this as seriously as they should and that has been that was also the case with black lives matter for years and years that's been the case with you know racism against black americans in this country for since it was founded since before it was founded so you know i get it i understand that People are fighting for attention for various causes. We have to care about all of them. If people's rights are being taken away, if people are being discriminated against, blamed for things that they're not responsible for, like what matters is what's right. And, and so I hope that, you know, whether it's Deshaun, whether it's Allen Iverson, Dwayne Wade, Stephen Jackson, whoever it is, that. You can name a whole host of white athletes that, you know, maybe they're more private with their problematic views. I know that that dude who plays for the Patriots. Yeah, that's that's one thing I want to say, because we're talking about these black athletes who are getting chastised publicly for having these sentiments, whereas this player on the Patriots had a fucking three percenter tattoo and that just seemed to go away instantly. It hasn't lingered in the media consciousness or the public consciousness the same way the the Sean Jackson saga has, and now in turn, Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson, Stephen Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and like, look, then you could also point out shit about, you know, Tom Brady and his, the whole connection to Trump and having a, a MAGA hat in his locker. And, you know, that was a story for a while. And that somehow is now just like, a non-entity despite the fact that you know not to get too into politics on this podcast but um 
what has happened over the last four years in this country. And Brady is sort of not attached to that somehow anymore and, and never really wanted to answer for why he had, you know, at least passive support for Trump in his locker. So white people get away with this shit constantly. And the overarching point here is that when there is prejudice in people, no matter who they are, what walk of life they come from, we have to be able to recognize it, to talk about it. And, you know, the the point I really wanted to point out here is that we have to find out where this is coming from and understand why people are, you know, believing these things. And whether that's because of what I talked about with people searching for information, whether it's just about, you know, mentors or, or friends or family in their life that are steering them in the wrong direction, or if it's just a you know, a product of happenstance. Uh, figuring that out is very important. Un- trying to understand one another and showing respect and love for one another is, you know, what's going to get us out of this at the end of the day. That's about all I got on that one. I will say that to close up, in the world we now live in, it's impossible to separate politics and sports and really any facet of our lives. So, we're saying like, oh, we don't want to get too political, which I understand this is a primarily a basketball pro- podcast. But at the same time, politics in the current situation of civil unrest we're in, you know, reaches out to every you know part of the modern life. Yeah, I will never divorce myself from, you know, like you have to just get to keep it real. You have to be true to yourself. I think we're both yeah. that type of people. And, you know, if you don't necessarily want to listen to that, I understand. But it's impossible not to discuss these things. It's ignorant. It's wrong not to. It's, you know, wrong of us as commentators or media members or however we want to categorize ourselves as people with a voice. There's something wrong if we're not talking about this. Absolutely. Uh, So back to, as we wrap things up here, we'll go a little rapid fire through some more actual basketball stuff, I guess, quote unquote basketball stuff, because they're still not actually playing yet. Uh, there have been a few reports just within the last few hours regarding, I guess you could say, both the integrity of the bubble and, you know, what's going on inside it. So uh, Malika Andrews, who I believe covers the New York teams, but also just the the NBA generally for ESPN, uh, says that the, the NBA sent out a memo to teams reminding them of campus rules, including... And this is direct quote, wearing face coverings slash masks, dressing appropriately when receiving room service and going through a mandatory educational session on campus rules. So, you know, I I think number one, the mask wearing thing stands out, but also the fact that the implication from the second point about dressing appropriately for room service is that these guys can't be bothered to be clothed when people are are bringing them food and bringing stuff to their rooms. And, you know, to me, those two ideas with the masks and dressing appropriately are, are connected in some way. And it's part of why I don't have a ton of faith that this is going to last for three and a half months. Like with guys ignoring rules about like Rashawn Holmes got in trouble for crossing the line to get delivery food, You have guys potentially showing up buck naked to the door for room service. It seems like they're implying that not everybody 
is wearing masks when they should be. And this is about a week into all these guys being there. And you're telling me this needs to last for the next three months or so. I just like, I don't know how they get through all this without some sort of, I don't want to say an outbreak, but without the whole thing just collapsing on itself in some way. Bro, it's just a disaster. Uh, I want it to go well. I mean, it has no, the games haven't even been played yet. And things are just going awry at every single solitary turn. It's, you What's going to happen when we actually have a real schedule that players and coaches and officials and executives need to keep to when there's these games going on and there's even increased contact between all these people that are in this quote-unquote bubble? This should be the easiest part, I feel like. It should be. This is like you still have the connection on some level to you just left home. It's like, all right, this is still a new experience. It's a a normal family vacation time period, I think. Maybe you're getting a little antsy to get home and, you know, be back in the comfort of your home. But that's that's not the reality. And, you know, there is also some reporting on part of that memo was about not bringing unauthorized people onto the campus and there have been tweets and instagram posts that have gone semi-viral that uh will say i don't i'm trying to think of a term let's just say women that have social media accounts that are fairly we'll call them influencers have said that they've already gotten invites to the bubble by certain players and it's like you and I talked about this, Seamus, in like mid-May. These guys are fucking horny down there. And I like that's a whole different problem from all the other like being stir crazy and being sick of the food, being sick of being in Disney World. There's just there are so many things that can go wrong here. And I I wish I was more confident in all of it going off. I want it to work, not just because it it is helpful for my job and this podcast, but because there are many, many people that you and I will never see or talk to whose livelihoods depend on this league for their, for their families and to, to put a roof over their head and to feed their families. So, you know, I, I want this with every fiber of my being to work i i think it just as a human being that's my starting point i just you know but also as a human being as joel Embiid has said i i fucking know how this stuff works i know these guys i know what they do in their downtime and it just the whole thing is just insane yeah it's it's just not gonna go well. like this isn't gonna go well i was optimistic that we'd have football we're definitely not having fans i, I doubt we even have football at this point and it sucks for, you know, there are selfish reasons here between you and I that we, you know, make some semblance of a living talking and writing about sports. But in reality, there's a deeper issue where thousands and thousands of people's livelihoods are at stake and their their health is at stake because of, I, would, I don't want to say needless, but, you know, poorly planned situations. And look, as we, you know, I guess we can't really avoid politics on this episode of the podcast if we were a country that genuinely cared about offering a safety net to the citizens of the country and we acted like a, a civilized people maybe 
we wouldn't be so reliant on large corporations like the NBA having to subject uh, their most prominent employees to risk in order to be able to potentially pay, you know, the thousands of other people that rely on this league for their income. But we don't like as as a country, at least as a country, as we're currently constituted, we don't care about the safety net and we have not made it a priority to like the unemployment benefits package is about to expire. There's no movement on that as far as I'm aware right now. The initial round of stimulus checks has not been followed up by any further legislation. I know there have been discussions on both of those matters, but you know, look, nothing's happening there. And so the NBA, among other large corporations, has to make the decision on their own of how the fuck do we make this work? And and even people with billions of dollars at their disposal are forced into these tough changes. So, you know, like I would love to live in a world and in a country where that's not an issue and we don't have to feel like we're either going full steam ahead with business or we have to fucking abandon large swaths of the country. But that is the position we've been put in. Makes you think. It does make you think. The only good thing so far, universal good of this bubble has been uh, Matisse Thibel's lockdown diary videos. Those are... Those are entertaining, I think. Yeah, Shake and Matisse holding it down for any semblance of enjoyment that we are going to have with the Sixers this season. (laughs) Well, that's about all I got, buddy. You got anything else before we wrap this up? No. Hopefully, uh, next time we talk, I have a Twitter account. Yeah, well, you know, fingers crossed. I'm crossing my fingers. I don't somehow lose mine through some more hacking shenanigans. You never know. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Um, until then, we uh, we hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, that your uh, your loved ones are all hanging in there during all this. And uh, if you haven't already, like, subscribe, give us some reviews on the podcast, and we will talk to you soon. See ya.